JM in the AM. Wednesday morning broadcast from Dubai. Could you imagine? We are in the UAE telling this amazing and incredible story. And um, those of you out there who are uh, following us closely, we had originally uh, mentioned that Jason Greenblatt would hopefully join us to wrap up our trip on our Thursday morning broadcast, but he has fit us in uh, and worked very hard to fit us into his schedule and to actually join us uh, face-to-face, which we greatly appreciate. It's a tremendous honor for us, as uh, everybody recalls. Uh, in the Trump administration, Jason Greenblatt was assistant to the President of the United States and special representative for international negotiations, a position that he held until just a few months ago, I believe. And it is a pleasure to welcome you to ba- back to JM in the AM. I'm honored to be here, but it feels just amazing to see you here in Dubai. You know, I'm a big listener to your show, to so many aspects of your show. And thank you. I guess a year ago when I left the White House, I wouldn't have imagined sitting here in Dubai being <laughs> a guest on your show. So thank you for having me. Well, it's a year ago, but I still think you can give us a perspective on some of the things that have happened over the last year. Uh, it is amazing to me. I thought of this on the plane to Dubai. Will people acknowledge that in fact Donald Trump, the President of the United States, is, I don't want to say solely, but is in the, but, but mostly responsible for what's going on now between the UAE and Israel. And it seems that everyone we speak to from Jerusalem and from here gives him a tremendous amount of credit for all of this happening. I think without him and without Jared Kushner, this deal wouldn't have happened. And of course, we have to give credit to His Royal Highness, the leader of the United Arab Emirates, and to Bibi Netanyahu, without whom also this wouldn't have happened, and Bahrain, Mm -hmm. uh, even Saudi Arabia to some degree because of their overflight. But without the tenacity of the president and Jared Kushner, this deal would not have happened. And I could tell you this is my fourth trip to the United Arab Emirates since I left the White House three of which were with my family. This is actually the first time I'm flying solo, but I'm only here for a day, so it's not so bad. And I would not have imagined a year ago, or even this past January when I was here with my family, how dramatic the change would be. Um, I knew it was going to come, and I always felt comfortable here, and now I'm seeing such amazing things, weddings and people running around, and of course I'm walking around Dubai with a kippah. Um, And I I wouldn't have imagined it in January, but it feels exactly like the three years of experience that I had here in the United Emirates, Emirates, and frankly, throughout the Arab world, the welcoming, the warmth, the respect. Jason Greenblatt with us, and by the way, you celebrated a simcha, a personal family simcha in the UAE, right? An engagement of one of your children? Yes, one of my triplets (laughs) got engaged. And look, that too is just a remarkable thing. As a diplomat, you don't often get to see so quickly the fruits of your labor. And uh, I was here for a speech. I was bringing two of my kids with me, one of whom was about to get engaged, my future son-in-law, Eric Weichner, an amazing young man who we're so happy to welcome into our family suggested, hey, uh, what do you think if I come to the Emirates and surprise your daughter? I said, fantastic. And then uh, we decided we couldn't leave the rest of the family out, so I brought my wife and the rest of the kids. Uh, And luckily, uh, Eric's sister and her future uh, husband, her fiancé, were able to join us as well. So imagine my daughter being surprised, getting engaged at the home of a very close Emirati friend of ours in the desert, Ishai Rebo playing on Spotify in the background. (laughs) You know, we're dancing to Hebrew music in the deserts of Dubai. Beautiful, just a beautiful, beautiful, amazing thing. And again, that I wouldn't have conceived of even this past January. Yeah, this is a beautiful country, and uh, we're not overstating it or exaggerating when we talk about how incredible it is to to be here, to visit here, and to enjoy the sights and sounds of Dubai. So we have to wrap our heads around the fact that if not for Donald Trump, 
there would never this type of deal would not exist that it, that a future administration or any type of administration would not have been able to get Israel and the UAE to the final table necessary to be at to take this big step forward. Absolutely. Look, there was an interesting article in the an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that reminded everybody what Secretary Kerry had said, which is unless you solve the Palestinian conflict, there will never be peace between Israel and its neighbors. I'm not here to criticize Secretary Kerry or, or predecessors because maybe that was true back then. But we recognized something different. We recognized that while the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians is very important to the Arab countries and it is heavily tied to the discussion, we can indeed separate them and solve some of these, sep some, some of these things separately. Uh, whether that was true years ago, or, uh, years ago or not, I'm not sure. Right. But we saw the opening, and uh, we wouldn't give up, and we were stubborn. And again, just b uh, because of the way President Trump does deals and Jared Kushner and their relationships with the leaders in the region, let's not also forget that there are two problems with the Palestinians. One is the leadership in Ramallah is uh, unwilling to talk, unwilling to negotiate in good faith. You know, they blame the Trump administration for all of our decisions, and that's fine. I don't agree. We don't have to get into that now. That's a totally separate discussion. But they're unprepared to make peace because they really have two leaderships. They have terrorist thugs, Iran-funded in Gaza, that cause tremendous suffering for the Palestinians in Gaza. And they have a leadership in Ramallah that does not unite the entire Palestinian population. And uh, they're unwilling to negotiate directly with Israel. They want to have international conferences, which frankly are a complete waste of time. They want to go after Israel of the United Nations, which they've been successful in doing. But that's not going to bring peace. That's not going to bring better lives to their people. And the Arab countries around Israel understand that. And that's why, among the reasons you're seeing this kind of movement, not to abandon the Palestinians, but they have their own national interests to think about and to worry about and their own people to take care of. When you were an official negotiator for the White House, you would have avoided using some of the terms you just used, I would assume, right? No, actually, on the contrary. Um, you know, people may disagree sometimes with the way President Trump speaks, but it's because of his unwillingness to just speak diplomatically and to his, his uh, insistence of speaking frankly that I actually always use words. Uh, maybe it took me a year to get comfortable in the role, but I don't use the word settlements. I use the word cities and neighborhoods and towns because that's what they are. I try to avoid using the West Bank, or if I say it, I say Judea and Samaria, what some know as the West Bank. And what others should never call occupied Palestinian terri because it's territory because it's just not true. Um, I spoke in front of the United Nations Security Council where everybody's saying that East Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinians. And I pointed out with the State Department's approval that an aspiration is not a right. So with President Trump's um, willingness to speak frankly, I was able to change the conversation. David Friedman, Jared Kushner, Avi Berkowitz, the entire administration, of course, Secretary Pompeo, who did some mm. amazing things for the cities and neighborhoods in Judea and Samaria, including his recent visit um, to Psagot. And uh, it's uh, without changing that conversation, we move backwards. So I hope that the new administration, if the new administration comes in, does not go backwards on that. It doesn't help anybody. It drives peace further away. So did you ever, or subsequent to your leaving the White House, did your, any of your associates or, or those that, that replaced you ever say to the leadership of the PA, guys, look at what's going on in the UAE. Look what you could be enjoying Look at the type of relationship you could have with Israel, how much it would benefit you politically and financially. Does that ever come up in a conversation with their leadership? So their leadership cut off the administration, including me, and, and still, uh, once President Trump made his bold and courageous and historic decision to recognize Jerusalem in December 2017, there have been no real official communications since then. 
But I do send that message uh, to all of my contacts. I'm still very much in contact with, let's say, um, both private individuals and, you know, people who claim to be middlemen. I don't want to pretend that the Palestinians are sending any kind of unofficial channels. That would be unfair for me, for me to say. But let's go back even before that. What we made clear to them is we have a president who wants to see if he can make peace. Peace has to work. It has to be realistic. It has to be negotiated in good faith. You have several people who are very close to President Trump, so he trusts us. And when we tell you something is going to happen, you should believe it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we told them that we were going to close the PLO office in Washington, which we had a legal reason to do because President Abbas had threatened to bring Israel to the International Criminal Court a few months prior at the United Nations General Assembly. Right, right. They didn't believe us. It happened. We told them we were going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. They didn't believe us. It happened. We told them we were going to cut funding to UNRWA. And we have legitimate reasons to do that, and we can get into that as well if you want. They didn't believe us it was going to happen. We told them the embassy was going to be moved. Again, they didn't believe us. So I think that they were coddled for so many years by other administrations, and they felt that we were not going to follow through on what we told them, and we said the opposite. We said, if we're telling it to you, it's because we know. We know President Trump. He is a man who, when he says something, tries very, very hard to make it happen. So uh, they just, they operated a different, uh, in a different space and a different method. And uh, I think they probably should regret it because I think at this point they realize how many benefits they could get from this deal. And we worry as Israel supporters that the next administration may again implement the coddling. I don't think you will find an administration the way the Trump administration was when it came to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Israeli, the U.S.-Israel relationship. Um, my hope is that they at least proceed with the type of philosophy on the Abraham Accords, that they don't roll the clock backwards on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, because that not only will not bring peace, it's just going to damage things. And worse, it's going to make Palestinian lives worse off, not better off. Right. These paper victories mean nothing, and none of them do anything for the two million Palestinians in Gaza anyway. So I think, if anything, what they should realize is how we've handled it. They may not agree with, they may not agree with our peace plan. Fine, there's... You know, we could debate that every day of the week, including, by the way, in Israel, where there are many detractors. But I think they should recognize that without taking these issues um, and discussing them openly and honestly and stop using the same talking points, that'll never happen. The 67 lines, which mean nothing in the context of a peace agreement. East Jerusalem, including Judaism's most holy places as Palestinian territory. Come on. It's just never going to happen. You mentioned you're here for a day. Why? Um, I had actually five meetings today. One of my clients called and had two important meetings, and then I was able to add on three more. And you get business done better if you can, uh, although I, I've learned to love Zoom, but you get business <laughs> done better uh, in, in person. So I came in late last night. I leave tomorrow morning. I want to be home for Shabbos to be with my family. After three years of living apart from my family, I try very, very hard not to separate from them for too long. And you're working with the president since what year? What year did you first start? Uh? I started in uh, January of 97. So <coughs> technically, I worked for him for 23 years, 20 in the private sector and almost three in the White House. And right. uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. And you look back at the White House experience, I'm sure, with tremendous uh, satisfaction. Oh, my God. It was uh, the honor of a lifetime, a blessing, like all the things that you can never imagine uh, to be able to try to work on a peace agreement with the Palestinians, which even though it was a very tall order, the fact that you could try to do that and to cement the U.S.-Israel relationship the way we did. I mean, it was a whole group of people that deserved the credit from the president on down, but I was so proud to be able to serve on that team. And then to be here in Dubai and see the fruits of that labor, to walk around. By the way, I don't want to make light of the fact that I wear, I, I never wore my kippah at work, uh, not because my employer has ever made an issue of it, certainly not Donald Trump, but... 
I always felt, uh, at least in my generation, when I started my career, was a bit uncomfortable. I didn't want anyone to prejudge me um, and then affect potentially the business of my employer. Right. But when I was here a few weeks ago at JFK, ready to board the Emirates flight, do I take it on? Do I, you know, do I keep it on? Do I take it off? And I decided I'm going to keep it on. I went on. I had my tefillin on, my talus on, which I didn't do in the White House. I usually waited until I was in a private area, either in the airport or in once landed. Um, and I walk around Dubai with my kippah. I walk around in the mall. People come up to me and say, Shalom. They think I'm Israeli till they speak <laughs> to me. you know. And they just want to have conversations. And uh, that is a dramatic shift. And look, I'll be honest. There are cities in Europe that I don't feel comfortable sure, wearing yeah, my We were kippah. just talking about that. I but, wear but a hat. But you're one of the reasons that we're able to do this. You, uh, thank you, God. I'm not <laughs> kidding. You, we, we, are, we, we talk about being here at, in a historic week and telling this historic story to our listeners and bringing it closer to home. And we're sitting with someone who is responsible, along with others, as you described, for history that's no longer in the making, history that's now history and such an important part of modern Jewish history. Absolutely. You know, when I was here a few weeks ago, I had joined a Friday Night Minion. Uh, I'm not at Minion all the time now because of COVID. It, my dad was 91, lives with us, so my family is super careful, although I'm here in Dubai. <laughs> but uh, it was beautiful to be sitting in this Minion, overlooking, you know, the outdoors, beautiful davening, you know, loud and proud. And I thought to myself, like, wow, you know, I was a part together with lots of other people, but I was a part of making this happen. And it's an amazing feeling. What a feeling it is. I hope you're writing it down and uh, that we'll have your memoirs <laughs> one day to reflect on, which would be nice. I, 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 Before I let you go, because I know that some of my listeners will demand that I ask you this. I hope it doesn't put you in an uncomfortable situation. But do you think as an observer that there'll be a uh, peaceful transition in Washington come January the 20th? I, I think so. I think that, look, President Trump is a fighter, and if he thinks he is not being treated fairly, he's going to fight as hard as he can until he can't. Um, but I don't, you know, he is not an, he's not what everybody else is painting him out to be in the mainstream media, but he is a fighter, and he thinks he has a good faith basis to challenge it, and uh, it'll be up to the courts, and if they have, uh, if they can prove their case, then good for him, and if they can't, I'm sure that there'll be a peaceful transition of power. He's a He's a patriot through and through. Uh, he believes in the story of America and the dream of America. He might have a different vision than um, the new leadership coming in, but I'm not concerned about that at all. Well, I uh, take this opportunity to say thank you on behalf of the world Jewish community and those who love Israel because the role that you've had has been so significant, and it's been an absolute uh, pleasure uh, watching you go through all this over the last few years and represent the administration and our people so well, and it's something we don't take lightly, and we're very, very uh, proud of all your accomplishments. And I hope that you will uh, graciously accept this Nahum Siegel Network Dubai 2020 shirt because, Mr. Greenblatt, I'm sure, with everything you've been presented with over the years, and all the gifts and the wonderful gestures that you've seen in this region, the world, and others, I'm sure this is among the most prized possessions that you will take out of Dubai. Can I assume I'm correct? Yeah, I will <laughs> add this to my museum of uh, things, but thank you. This It's a real honor to be here. Um, I love your show. I love thank what you, you do. Thank you for all that you do for the Jewish community thank and for you. Israel. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Jason Greenblatt, everybody, of course, served in the Trump administration as assistant to the President of the United States and special representative for international negotiations and one of the people to whom the Jewish people and lovers of Israel are indebted to uh, for what he has done over the years. And uh, I just want to introduce to you our chairman, Mr. Ralph Rosenbaum, who's chairing, chairing this. also a Jersey boy like the rest of us. And uh, he is chairing this trip and has been with us as the lay leader uh, for this journey to Dubai. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you again. Uh, Jason Greenblatt on his way to another meeting uh, that's filling his day, but he did find time for us for a face-to-face -face conversation. 
it's much appreciated uh, that he has uh, uh, taken the time to join us. And yes, everybody, we are living history, and we're actually witnesses to it. We are seeing the sights, and we're uh, hearing the sounds, and enjoying what's happening here in the UAE uh, in this very significant time of UAE-Israel relationships.